everybody, and welcome to another episode of Intention is Everything. I am Karen Frazier, and with me, as always, my co-host, Cheryl Knight-Wilson. Hey, Cheryl. Hi, Karen. How are you tonight? Good. I feel like we've been talking so much lately. We, we kind of went for like a few months without doing anything because we took a little bit of time off, and now here we are. Yeah, it. it's great. It's, it feels good to be back at it. Okay, so Cheryl, I actually am going to have you introduce our guests because you wrote something and I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) We are so happy to talk tonight with Patrick and Catherine Andres. They are the founders of the School of Intuitive Arts and Sciences, and they created the school in 2002 with a mission of offering the most comprehensive curriculum and programs in self-development and metaphysical studies. The school offers comprehensive learning programs about topics like soul evolution, mind-body connection, dreams, and life purpose mastery. The school also offers astrology, numerology, and iris readings, which I'm really excited to talk more about, as well as individual coaching sessions. Both Catherine and Patrick have written numerous books on metaphysical topics such as dream symbols and finding your life purpose, and they also host Spirit's Journey Radio with a mission to bring listeners spiritual wisdom in a practical and down-to-earth manner. Their show explores topics such as reincarnation, astrology, dreams, alternative mind-body healing, quantum physics, relationships, karma, and numerology amongst other topics. And um, the show airs live on Truth Frequency Radio on Saturdays every week. So we're really excited to talk to you tonight. Welcome, Catherine and Patrick. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you guys are right up my alley. We actually met because I was on your your podcast. And as we started to talk, I thought, well, they should be on ours. (laughs) That often happens. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that works out, huh? I love it. So I have to ask because I just popped up um, your Amazon page because I was curious as Cheryl was introducing. And I have to ask about naked in public. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, so a dream symbol uh, that is very common with people is showing up somewhere naked. So you show up to school or work and you're not wearing your clothes. And so the symbol for that actually represents honesty. And as you interpret your dreams, you become more honest with yourself. So it kind of has a double entendre. And so we like the title because it had that double meaning. So uh, it's a very common dream symbol as well as like a, a sense of getting more honest as you interpret your dreams and discover what your subconscious mind is working to communicate with you. Absolutely. Best dream symbol book title ever I'm a, little, <laughs> Thank you. I'm a little bit jealous because mine is simply called like the handbook of dream interpretation it's not <laughs> nearly as cool as yours so well the, the publisher when they first saw the cover their designer did it they looked at it and they're like are you sure this is gonna fly because it's a little racy he said no <laughs> this is the cover we got to go with this and uh, a couple of times you know we'll get a comment or two like well this is kind of sexist we're like what are, you, what are you talking about like it doesn't bother me at all so i think if anything it's an attention grabber i think so too and you know honestly that is one of the most common dream symbols people have and I think I suspect and you guys maybe will disagree with me or agree with me I suspect that as the world starts to open up again that people are going to be having more naked and public dreams I bet you're right oh yeah I think so (laughs) uh after a night of drinking where someone kind of reveals a little too much they often get a naked dream and like running down the street oh my god I gotta get my clothes on it's kind of the idea that oh I I spilled the beans too much I made a fool of myself I revealed myself in a way that I shouldn't have perhaps um so we get a lot of those too yeah I just think that like I know I was telling my friend um Kristen I I said you know I was really working so hard about a year and a half ago on being less awkward, like in public and around people I don't know, because I, I tend to be a little bit shy. 
which nobody ever believes when they meet me in a format like this, but it's true. I am shy and I am, I am an introvert. And so I've been working on being, you know, I was working on, and I was getting pretty good at being, you know, like more open and going up to people and talking and not feeling awkward. And then the world shut down. So I'm pretty sure that as soon as the world opens back up, I personally will be having naked dreams. So there you go. <laughs> well, give us a call. We'll give you more details about the dream when it happens. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So Cheryl, I know that you have been working on questions. So this is, here's, here's a little insight into our show. You guys, Cheryl is amazing. She is so prepared. She prepares, she studies about the guests and everything else. And then basically what happens is about two minutes before the show, I log in and she's like, well, have you looked at the bios and the, the questions and stuff? And I'm like, no, I'll just figure it out as we go along. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you can wing it. I'm sure. So Cheryl is super prepared. So I always let her start because she's super prepared. And then I just, I just wing it. <laughs> you know what, you know, just jumping right in, Karen, is, is great. I love how you do that. Yes, I'm the opposite, but hey, we complement each other. So I think it's it great. works for us. It works. It works. Um, yeah, I have a long list of questions. So I'll just start with my first one on the list. And I'm very interested in the School of Intuitive Arts and Sciences and the programs that you have listed on your website just really caught my attention, a few of them in particular. And so first I wanted to ask you, what led you to found the school? And then if we could talk a little bit about some of the programs that you teach, such as, such as like soul evolution, your life purpose mastery course, the mind body connection course, and then of course, you know, the dreams course, which Karen, you're gonna love, I know. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. So my husband and I actually met uh, at a metaphysical school that we were studying at, and we learned a lot of great stuff there. And of course, we met each other, which was amazing. Uh, but we also weren't 100% happy with the way things were taught there. And so we kind of both had this idea, hey, you know, we know all this stuff. We don't really like the way they're teaching it. We think we could make things better. Uh, and we both got this thought, well, gee, like we should do our own school. And we're like, yeah. And so uh, we got married. And actually, before we got married, I think we started uh, writing curriculum for our own school. And it was really the desire to teach a lot of these great metaphysical teachings but in a, in a different way, uh, we really wanted to not coerce people, not have a, an agenda. We really wanted people to be free to just follow their own path. And we just wanted to be supporters of that. So that's why we founded our own school. We love metaphysics and, you know, teaching's our passion. Um, we've actually shortened the name now to Intuitive School because the other one just got so long. So um, it's now intuitive okay. school. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll talk about one of the core programs and I'll let Patrick talk about some of the others, but uh, the discover your life purpose uh, or life purpose mastery, that's kind of my signature program. And what it is, is I take people through six different paths to understand themselves. So we look at our astrology charts, numerology, we read our palms, um, we look at our birth order, we look at the patterns in our eyes, and we do past life readings. And each one of these is a different way to understand our past, our present, and where we could be going in the future. And I'm like really anal, right, about going through all the methods, not just one, not two, but all six of them. And <laughs> I started out on that path. That's what got me started. I was in my 20s and I got an astrology reading and I, I was blown away. And I said, oh my gosh, I got to learn this. So as you know, in this field, once you open one door, you know, you can't stop. So I was like, well, <laughs> astrology is great. What else is out there? Oh, numerology. Well, that taught me a lot. And I was reading. So I kept going and going, going. And I thought all of these paths are valid. And so I, I put them all together because it took me about 10 years to study all those different methods and become a practitioner and work with people. So my thought was, well, what if I could combine all these in a way that uh, I could teach people over a shorter period than it took me? Um, so it led to the book, The Soul Choices, Six Paths to Find Your Life Purpose, and that course that I teach. Yeah. So for me, how I got started, I always remember thinking about, um, you know, I, I had all these things that I wanted to do, 
but I also had this kind of drive in me. I wanted to be the best I could be at all these things. And so, you know, when I was younger, I remember looking at people who got really good at something, you know, they would, uh, you know, spend their whole life every day playing the piano or, you know, running or swimming or whatever it was that was their thing. And I had a lot of interest. And so I started thinking about, well, how could I be good at all these different things? And so I started thinking about, well, if I developed my mind, you know, I could be good and still, you know, do all these different things that I wanted to do. So that was kind of the beginning of me really thinking about the potential of the mind and using uh, the mind as kind of like my central focus. And so when I was in college, then I started getting into the study of metaphysics. And so I started to learned that there were a lot of other people who had ideas about the mind and how it works very similar to mine. And as I got deeper, you know, it was kind of like going down the rabbit hole, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, seemed very strange and new to me at the time, there were things that I hadn't been exposed to when I was younger. But then I started seeing the evidence for these things as I started to practice these techniques and, um, you know, began to meditate and, and develop a keener focus of attention and develop some of these you know, skills that we might consider very esoteric or psychic abilities, things like that. And so as I started delving into the intuition, you know, it just really kind of became this lifelong passion of mine. And so, you know, it wasn't too long into that, I started teaching others how to do those things too. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of what led to the beginning of the school, you know, we started writing our curriculum and, and I eventually wrote the, the book owner's manual for the mind. And so the idea for that really kind of was, you know, what would our life be like if we were given a manual when we were born, you know, something that would teach us how to use our mind, because we've got a manual for just about everything else. So why not for the mind and how much better could be, you know, people's lives be, if uh, we had some kind of, uh, you know, directions in terms of how to develop our mind and, and apply that, you know, people have um, all kinds of, um, you know, things that they want to create in their life. But they often come up against roadblocks. So I have like this super unevolved question, but it's just, I, <laughs> I, I just, I have to ask because you guys are married. You, how long have you been married? 18 years. Oh, me too. That's cool. Anyway, so you guys have been married for 18 years and you're, you, um, I know that you have um, things that are different about you, but you have very similar worldview and you have a very kind of a, a, you're walking a very spiritual path. So when you fight, <laughs> is it spiritual or do you fight just like everybody else? Or, or <laughs> I mean, it's like the biggest insult that you can give each other is like, well, you're in your ego now. <gasps> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's like well, you know, a lot of times what happens, it's so funny. So he's so dang perceptive. If I've got something on my mind or, you know, conniving something, you know, he will like just pick it out of me. And it's like, so honestly, like um, things usually get resolved pretty quickly because he's so perceptive. And um, and I, I tend to be the analytical one. And so when something bothers me, you know, instead of just lashing out, I'll usually go into this mode of, well, what does this mean? And, and, you know, what does this show about me? And I'll go through this whole thing first, uh, which helps because by the time it gets out, it's been diffused because I've figured some things out. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we can definitely argue and they're usually like minor things. Um, and I think it so helps to have that reflective part. That's what I'd say. He might say something totally different. <laughs> well, not so completely different. I mean, when when we first got married and we had a, a few uh, fights and stuff like that, that were probably a little bit more typical as we were kind of getting to know each other. But I, I think the metaphysical background and that spiritual foundation always gave us something in common to anchor us and, and bring us back together. You know, the, the idea was always to look for that spiritual ideal. And so we had something in common that... Uh, we were both striving for to develop ourselves personally and also to help others learn and grow. And so that helped us as well. I mean, like for me, myself, I mean, I was a Scorpio, I am a Scorpio. So when I was younger, you know, I could get into some of that uh, typical Scorpio energy. And, uh, you know, sometimes people think of Scorpios as being vengeful and things like that if they're cross. But now, you know, I try to be a little bit more of a uh, enlightened Scorpio. <laughs> 
<laughs> try to be more I, evolved. <laughs> I am married to a Scorpio. So yeah. So Catherine, what are you? What's your I'm a Virgo. So our our charts are actually very compatible. Before I married him, I made him, I made him go through the ropes. I said, okay, I got to check out all your charts to see if we're compatible. And, and we are. I passed. See, my husband's a Scorpio and I am a Sagittarius. Fire and water. It's been, it's been a process. I mean, it's been, it's been very good for both of us, but boy, there was a lot of work and stuff out over the years. Oh, I, I bet. Yeah. Well, I, relationships are a fascination of mine. So I did write a book on relationships. So uh, I know a thing or two about how to deal with them. But of course, when it's your own stuff, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. I, I can pick out somebody else's issues. Be like, oh, this is what's going on. You know, yeah. um, sometimes it's not always easy in our relationship, but uh, it's funny. I have friends, girlfriends who have his exact same birth date. And I always say, you're, you're the female version of my husband. It's something about his, his birthday and his influences. I just love. (laughs) So, um, that kind of segues into something that actually I'm interested in. Um, and that's in is relationship synastry with the, with the two, uh, with horoscopes. So, are there any, so like I mentioned, um, fire and water and that that's a challenge. Are there any that just really are not going to work? Well, I, I never would say to somebody, oh, this relationship's not going to work out because anything's possible. And, you know, I don't always just look at astrology, right? Because maybe the astrology isn't compatible, but we've got the numerology, we've got the palms, you know, there's so many other things to look at. But typically, from an astrological standpoint, we have the four elements, fire, earth, air, water, typically, um, earth and um, uh, well, earth and water go well together, right? Water nourishes earth, earth gives direction to water, and um, fire and air go well together. You know, fire stimulates air, uh, air stimulates fire, whatever you want to look at it. Um, so those are the most compatible. And then um, you get more incompatible when you mix and match. So, um, you know, the water with the fire, sometimes the water can put out the fire, the earth and the air. Sometimes the air sign is just not practical for the earth sign. They're like, get out of your head. You know, you're impractical. Um, so there's so many things besides that, though, to look at in a chart to tell if someone's compatible or not. Um, but there are definitely, you know, challenges between two charts and specifically, uh, I find it's when the aspects, which are the, the way the planets connect, when those get difficult, um, you, you can really run into problems specifically, I think in relationships, the most important is the planet Mercury, which is communication. So when two people have two Mercuries that don't jive together, either because the signs are incompatible, like I said, the, um, you know, earth and air or fire and water, um, or they make a bad aspect to each other, uh, then you run into difficulties, because if you can't communicate, the relationship is going to be hard. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I just, I, I find that kind of stuff really interesting. And I've, I've done charts and, and um, I know probably enough about astrology to be dangerous. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But it's, I just, it's really interesting. And we have, I work for a website called Love to Know, and we have a really talented astrologer who writes for us. And so I'm always asking her stuff too, because it's just, all of those things are really interesting to me. And so one of the questions I have about that is, I know what my view is, is why those things affect us. Um, but a lot of people say, well, if, if, if numerology matters and astrology matters, is the universe predetermined? Do we come into life predetermined? So why do we come into our lives with these imprints on our palms and in our numbers and in our birth dates and all of that? Well, that's a great question. And I say that it's because before we came into this uh, existence, this lifetime, rather, we've been in existence forever, right? Before we came into this body, we decided what the mission was going to be. Why am I coming back? And based on that mission, we chose a birth date that would give us the astrological influences that would help us fulfill it. We chose a name and people say, well, I didn't choose my name. My parents did. Well, how did your parents choose it? I think there was communication going on 
between you as a soul and the parents? What would be an appropriate name to give you the influences you needed? Um, in terms of the, the imprints on the fingers, um, again, uh, a lot of that I think is karmic revealing what we came here to do that was already predetermined. So that's where the title of my book comes from, Soul Choices, because I believe we chose everything, the parents, our sex, our country, everything uh, to help us fulfill the mission. So then how does choice play into that? Is that just a roadmap? That's just a roadmap. And as you know, you could have 20 Scorpios or 20 Sagittarians in a room, and they're all going to be different. And that's because these influences are energetic. And there's a lot of different ways they can be expressed. So for example, I think it was um, uh, one of the presidents, I think one of the Kennedys had an astrology chart that was similar to Charles Manson. And they were couldn't have been two more different people, right? And that's because there's so many different ways energetically you can express your influences. So you've got free will. You know, you could go down a negative path with the Scorpio influence and be like Patrick was saying, vengeful and, you know, um, really dark. Or you can take the high road with the Scorpio and be super intuitive and powerful with your mind. Fair. I'd just like to point out real quick, Cheryl, and then I promise I will let you ask. My husband is a triple Scorpio, sun, moon, rising. Wow. Wow. That's deep. It's a lot. He <laughs> <laughs> does pretty well with it, though. I always say when somebody has several planets in the same sign, that it's like a double, triple or whatever whammy that they really wanted to embody the characteristics of that sign. That's what I tell them, too, is that you gave yourself this because you really wanted to work on this stuff in this life, dude. Well, yeah, I, I tend to like the Scorpio influence. Actually, I have several planets in Scorpio as well as my son. So uh, I had a thought, though, about your question, because uh, I, I do need to uh, let you know, though, Catherine is the astrologer, numerologist, and palmist, so I don't really have, that's not really my background. Mine is in metaphysics. And so when I look at that, I see it more from a spiritual perspective that we are these beings of energy and light who are having this experience here on this planet and so we need to look at everything from that context that we're really immortal beings and we're experiencing in this finite mortal existence and so we have this kind of a conflict within our consciousness that our conscious mind that's working with our brain has this sense of mortality and so we experience fear and these things that are very physically related and all kind of point to the the finite nature of our physical existence. And so, uh, you know, to our body, it's very real because our body one day will pass, but our consciousness will go on. And so then we have this other part of us that is this eternal part of us. And, and this kind of plays off in when we're talking about dreams too, is that when we talk about dreams, that comes from the subconscious mind, which we can also refer to as the soul. That's the part of ourself that goes on from one lifetime to the next. And so when we have those insightful experiences from our intuition, they're from more of like the perspective of an eternal being. And so life and death aren't really such a big deal to an immortal being. And so, you know, when I look at things like astrology or palmistry and, and even numerology, I kind of look at those as clues. It's almost like these little clues that we leave ourselves to lead us back to that immortal reality. And so, you know, like when I've watched people do tarot readings, I'm not a tarot reader either, but I've uh, obviously been in, in contact with that being in metaphysics for so long. And so when I observe a reader, you know, they pull the cards, but then I notice that the cards are almost like a gateway. They use them as sort of like a starting point and then their intuition kicks in and they can, it's like pulling a thread, you know, the rest of that intuitive insight comes. And so I think that's kind of why astrology is there for us and palmistry and all of these other arts and sciences is that it, it's like these little breadcrumbs that sort of lead us back to the truth of who we are. They're little flags that we set out for ourselves that we can recognize things. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> okay, Cheryl, I promise. Now you go. <laughs> no, it's, I, I'm just wondering, okay, let's say then that I can feel myself getting, let's say trapped in my physical state, but I know that I want to go more towards my spiritual state, but I'm having trouble getting there. What quick steps or easy steps, or are they all hard? Can I take to get started? Well, I would say um, 
you know, meditation, you probably knew I was going to say that. Um, but I it's have a like particular- too. It's the answer to everything in the universe. I know, right? But I, I well, you know, I actually have a, a better exercise that I do to, to really pull me back, to remember I'm a spiritual being is I, I gaze into a mirror uh, for about 10 minutes looking at the third eye. And it really, it's quicker than meditation to get into an altered state. And you begin to see yourself differently, like literally, because your eyes are open. And you're like, wow, like I'm more than this body. Now, you can also get that effect in meditation where you leave your body. And some people can actually see their body from the corner of the room. You know, that takes practice. Um, But that too and I come back in my body, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm not this body. I exist beyond it. And, and the third way I would say is to record your dreams. And you're like, wow, how is it that I, I didn't have consciousness? I wasn't conscious when I was sleeping, but all this was happening. There must be another part of me, another dimension that's mm-hmm. active in my life. And so the more that we get into the dreams and remember them, and it can exist in that dream state, we're connecting with that other reality that reminds us that, hey, there's more to life than, than this. That's really interesting. And then latching on to what you said about dreams and, and really deciphering dreams, Karen knows this. I'm just always so amazed at how the dreams that I have relate to, to things going on in my life and in my, you know, in my psyche or, or whatnot. And I think it's a fascinating way to help problem solve everyday issues. Okay, I have really vivid dreams like almost every night. And sometimes they're not happy dreams. Most of the time they're not happy dreams. You know, they're not terrible, but they're not the happiest. It's it's usually dealing with like a problem. So I remember a dream last night I had, um, I was on a a group vacation with a bunch of friends and one of my friends I hadn't seen in a long time showed up unexpectedly and she was, got mad at me because I had brought along a gun and she said that I was a hypocrite because I previously said, I don't like guns. I wish we were in a world that didn't need them. So I was totally, you know, anti-gun, right? Which is true, the anti-gun part in my real life, but the not real real part was that I did not consider taking a gun with me ever at any time in my life. So I guess I'm wondering the complexity of that, of me being in, in my dream, thinking that I did this in my waking life, and then a friend showing up and calling me out on something that I don't think I would ever really do. So when we talk about dreams, there's a couple of perspective shifts that we always give people so that they can understand the context of the dream. Kind of like what I was talking about before, the dream's coming from this part of yourself that is immortal. And so it doesn't have fear of death. It doesn't have a sense of mortality. And it, it has a sense of the bigger picture of the continuity of your existence. And so when this information is coming through, it's coming through from that context. And so these symbols are really a way for your mind to communicate within itself to try to communicate what's happening within your consciousness on a broader scale. And so your conscious mind looks for images that are going to relate to that quality of energy that's receiving. So uh, every person in a dream is going to represent uh, a part of yourself. So for example, uh, your friend that shows up in the dream, how would you describe her in one or two words? Oh, wow. That's a great question. One or two words. That's difficult. (laughs) caring, energetic. Okay. So caring and energetic. So in general, this dream, you're on vacation. So that's a time when in your life, what was going on is that you were retreating somewhat from your life, not running away, but just kind of taking a break for a period of time. And so um, during this time, um, this kind of caring and energetic part of yourself uh, is coming to mind and you're giving attention to this part of yourself. Now, a gun though, would be some kind of a tool that you have in your life that is capable of making a change. And so I would even venture to say that uh, a gun, you know, might be able to be used to force a change to happen in your life. Because whenever we talk about death in a dream, death is a transition. It's some kind of a change that's happening in your life. 
And so a gun is capable of making that happen. So this part of yourself that's very caring and energetic, um, you, you feel kind of split about this because during the time you had the dream, and we usually recommend you look in your life about 24 to 48 hours of the time that you had the dream for what was going on in your life when you're trying to uh, relate the dream directly to your life. Uh, there was something in your life where you were recognizing that you had a tool that you could use to make change happen in your life. But then you have this other part of yourself that's kind of carefree and, um, you know, more compassionate, empathetic, and energetic. But um, that part of yourself is not really in alignment with this whole idea of making change happen. So if I was going to point to something in your life to look at, I would say that maybe uh, within your thinking, your consciousness, uh, you have almost like this little split personality going on where you have this kind of carefree spiritual side that, that's like, oh, we need to be caring and loving and, and uh, energetic and, and kind of relax and let things flow. But then maybe there's this other part of yourself where it's like, well, we got to go, go, go. We got to get it done. You know, we got to make this happen. And so you're applying your willpower, you know, to make these things happen. And so uh, there's sort of this dichotomy going on in your consciousness. Yeah, I side, I, I side right there because like uh, Karen said, you're so nailing I this. Just, I just messaged her and he said, I said, he is so nailing this. Oh man, okay, you got me. I am a Gemini, I'll just say that. Um, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, you sense. are like totally, um, you are so yeah. nailing it. Okay, you nailed All right, see, Definitely. this is why this amazes me. I mean, it just is amazing. I've never... Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh. So the last thing I would probably say as far as advice is that um, as you learn how to use the mind, then you can learn how to use the aggressive, aggressive and receptive qualities of that um, kind of more in harmony. So you're um, using visualization to create the image and to draw it to you without having to force it to happen. So it's kind of like you're you know, you're still using those same qualities, but you're not having to force anything into your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I love that, actually. It's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. You don't know Cheryl as well as I do, but you got her. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love it when, yeah, when you can totally see the, the dreams, because, yeah, I mean, basically, I was just interpreting the dream, and, and it all was laid out there for me. That's, that's so you know, so I've done the dream interpretation for years and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but every time when I do it, I'm still surprised. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I <know. Yeah. laughs> so I want to know, um, do you think that there's any difference between dream symbols and psychic symbols, or do you think they're exactly the same thing? Oh, I, I, I think they're different, but I do believe that we can have waking dream symbols to get our attention. Um, and, you know, like seeing three fire engines go by on, on one day, there's like, usually we, spirit has a way of getting our attention, right? So if we're not paying attention to the dreams, it's like, okay, well, let's get her when she's awake. <laughs> we're going to have, you know, have her see three fire engines if that sparks her mind to something. Um, and those though, you know, those symbols in, in waking life, um, because in the dream world, anything can happen, right? We can create out of air. Uh, but I think in the waking life, um, you know, it, it's harder to have the person come in contact with certain symbols. Like, you know, you could dream about somebody who lives across the continent you haven't seen in 20 years. Well, to make that happen in real life, your waking life, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. So I think, uh, the symbols aren't always, um, as symbolic, for example, symbol symbolic in the waking life as they are in the dream life. Fair. All right. So when I talk to you guys on your show, one of the things that you mentioned to me is that you work together psychically. And I was really fascinated by that. And we just talked a little bit about it. And so I was hoping that you would explain what that looks like and, and how you work together and, and what you think the advantages of that are. Sure. We do this process that we call an intuitive reading. And uh, we first started doing this uh, when we were teaching metaphysics years ago at a school together and continued uh, working with that after we started our school in Chicago. And so we do 
three main types of readings. The ones that we do most often, we do a past life reading, a past life crossing, which is a relationship reading between two people during a past lifetime, and then also a health reading. And so when we do that, I actually act as uh, the guide or the conductor during the reading process. And so I guide her through the process and then she acts as the reader. And what this allows us to do is that she's able to go into a much deeper unconscious state, almost like a sleep state. And we feel like this gives us a, a very consistent level of information because uh, we've both done readings where you have to give them consciously. And, and so the process that I would use is, you know, I'd go inside and I would listen for that intuitive guidance, but then I would have to come back out to interact with whoever I was giving the reading to. So there's this in and out process that's occurring during that. And so this allows her to just go under and stay under, and then I guide the whole process. It's really very similar. If you are familiar with Edgar Casey and the work that he did, he was referred to as the sleeping prophet. So he'd go into this sleep state, which we now would refer more to as a uh, like a trance state, some people would call it a trance state, or uh, I usually refer to it as a hybrid state of hypnosis. And so um, then he would have somebody read questions to him and interact with him and, and receive the information from the reading. And so sometimes we call it an Edgar Casey style reading because it's a two-person process. Well, there has to be really deep trust between the two of you to be able to do that because what it sounds like you're doing is you're creating an envelope where it's safe for her to do that you're creating almost a container for her to do those things am i wow. that right yeah that's very perceptive of you because i don't think uh, many people pick up on that but yeah there, it's actually twofold because i take her down into that space but then i also uh, protect her energy while she's doing the reading. So, you know, that's, that's where a lot of my attention is, is, you know, with that combination. So um, she's, you know, people are only interacting with me. And so I'm kind of like um, the gatekeeper, so to speak, in the reading process. And, you know, I was going to share an experience I had is the, before I met Patrick and before we started doing these readings together, I was trained in uh, to do readings more on like the psychic style where I just sit across from somebody and I'm directly interacting with this person. And I remember many times, uh, or not many, but several times where the person I was doing a reading for was skeptical. And so you, you not only were trying to do a reading for this person, but you know, they're show they're putting daggers, you know, mental daggers at you like, Oh, I don't believe this, you know, and, and it's really hard to do a reading. And so when we discovered uh, together, how well we could work together and do this kind of reading, I've never experienced that because he's like the go-between. Um, and so it's, it really creates a, a better reading experience and deeper information like that. I bet. And the other thing I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm actually feeling a little jealous right now. I'm going to tell you because I, I have sat across from many a person who has the uh, mental and physical stank face, the I don't believe. Oh. <laughs> and and um, ego gets involved when you get that face, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so that I would say that my suspicion is also your readings are so deeply accurate because ego's gone because you're not looking at that face yeah 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 definitely I am like out and and after the readings I don't talk to people about them it's like they interface with Patrick if they have questions about the reading or you know need consulting with it so it keeps me totally out of the interaction with the person which again is another uh way that I think uh it just makes it a better experience for everybody yeah, we get done with the readings and she comes out and she's like ready to go. I'm like, yeah, you just had a nap. I was working. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because I do feel tired at the, I mean, when I do readings, I only do readings one day a week. And the reason I only do the readings one day a week right now is because I was just getting depleted when they were all over the place and every day and, and things like that. So I would imagine that you're less because you're I think that the reason that I get tired is because I do I am kind of dipping in and out as you say and I'm fighting that whole ego thing and the you know what if this is wrong and you know all of that stuff that we just do right 
And so, yeah, I'm feeling a little jealous. I need to find myself a Patrick, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it is amazing. I mean, we've been doing this for so long. And one of the reasons why this has become a lifelong, um, you know, vocation for me is just because I just keep seeing the truth in a deeper and deeper way. I mean, it's amazing watching these readings unfold because, you know, there's been times when something would come up, like we always record our readings for our clients. And, you know, sometimes uh, the battery, even though I check everything, sometimes the battery would unexpectedly give out or there, there'd be some kind of maybe technical thing where I'd have to pause. And so I can actually just pause her almost like, you know, she's just uh, giving me all the information from like a CD or something that she's listening to, you know, I can just put her on pause and take care of whatever it is and then pick up right where we left off. And she just picks up without even missing a beat, almost like I just put a pause button or something on. And so it's just amazing watching these readings and the the depth of the information, you know, just getting confirmation from so many people about the, um, you know, how significant it was in their life and how it affects their life and and how they can see, you know, these different things happening. Um, You know, it definitely has, um, you know, given me years of of, um, credibility in terms of, the process of these readings over the years. I bet he wishes he could just put me on pause all the time. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking that. I I was thinking as a parent, the uh, pause button. There are several times when the pause button would have been pretty cool. I've tried; it doesn't work. Oh, <laughs> I know it reminds me of that um, that movie Click. I think. Oh where... yeah, <laughs> Adam Sandler, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So I'm wondering about iris readings. I have never heard of these before. And I'm wondering if you could describe what that entails. Yeah, it is so fascinating. So um, it's not iridology. So usually when people hear that I do iris readings, like, oh, iridology. So, you know, tell me what's wrong with my body. Because iridology is a wonderful science, but it's been around for, you know, couple hundred years and it really just looks at the physical body you know the eyes as a window to what's going on with the organs and so forth now the method i learned is called rayid r-a-y-i-d and that was developed by a man named denny johnson and he was having a difficult time in life went into meditation was told he needed to study the eyes he's fascinating so he went around the world looking at you know thousands and thousands of irises um, until he began to see and realize there were certain patterns. And so what Raya does is it looks at the psycho-spiritual aspects of a person, personality traits. Um, A lot of it is ancestral, you know, that has been come through from many, you know, people in our ancestry. Um, It explains our core drive and motivation in life. So some of the things we can tell, there's four main iris types and uh, combination and then four combination types. And that describes like the basic um, mode that you respond and approach life. Uh, Like from the mental standpoint, the emotional standpoint, uh, from the more kinesthetic or somebody who really approaches life from a um, standpoint of extremes, you know, they, they have to go all the way type. And then, and, and so that's the core of understanding a person. And then beyond that, we can tell if the person is more inner directed or outer directed, if they tend to lean more towards the right or the left brain. And then uh, he actually discovered that there's different types of rings in the iris. And sometimes a person will have one or more rings. There's four or sometimes they have none, but the different ring types further describe our personality. And then whenever we have a little characteristic in the eye, um, the placement of where that is says something about you. There's 45 different positions in the iris. So it is so in-depth and fascinating. I remember when when I had my first class, Denny Johnson, who created this, was teaching it. And he went around the room with his little magnifying glass and he looked in everybody's eyes just for you know quick, not even a minute. And he would step in and he would say one profound thing to you. And so he, he looked in my eyes and he stepped back. He said, oh, you're a real spiritual seeker. And I was like, oh my gosh. Cause yeah, 
that's yeah. me since 12, right? <laughs> I was blown away. And then of course, the more I got into it, it is described me to a T and really helped me understand parts of myself. Well, I was just totally trying to see my eye in my phone, but got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so I always tell people, if you have light colored eyes, you can go in the mirror, shine a flashlight, you know, at the um, coming in from the side of your eye, or if you're going to take a picture of it, you know, now some cameras on phones are so good. Um, you could take a, a picture with that. We, we use special iris uh, cameras that, you know, expensive, but you get a really good photo. Um, but now with these iPhones, I mean, you, you can get some good ones if you have the right lighting. Yeah, I have very dark eyes. So, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing the quality you can get on these cameras because I actually worked with her a little bit using the phone, you know, to get uh, some pretty decent shots that used to take a professional camera that we used to do. I mean, uh, I, I teach science in school sometimes too. And uh, I even had a student who was looking at a little paramecium or something under a microscope and it's just this little one-celled organism and he actually could put his phone up there to the microscope and take a pretty decent video of that thing moving around in there isn't that amazing yeah well you know what's going to happen is that my husband jim is going to come home from work tonight and i'm going to be standing in the bathroom either staring at my third eye or my actual eyes <laughs> i just i just feel like that's probably going to happen well, yep. people often will look at me odd because I don't even realize it. I'm like trying to see the patterns in their eyes and they're like, what do you look at? I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. You're like big <laughs> on eye contact. They just think you're one of those intense eye contact people. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're like, are you looking into my soul? Yeah, I, I'm Actually, not afraid. Actually, she is. I'm not, afraid of eye, I'm not afraid of eye contact. Yeah, in fact, I want to see what kind of iris type I'm dealing with. So the eyes genuinely are like windows to your soul. They are indeed. That's pretty cool. Okay, Cheryl, you go ahead again. That is totally cool. Thank you so much for explaining that to me. Um, I'd like to try that one day. Um, Definitely. Did you yeah. get your phone out and try to take a picture of your eyeball? <laughs> my phone's, I put my phone in the other room so it didn't ring. Uh, I, don't well, I would if I had it here. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, it actually works better if you take a picture of each other's eyes instead of trying to take a picture of your own eye, though. <laughs> that's a little, I, a little tip. I know. That's, I, I did discover that like, I couldn't get my eye centered because I was too busy trying to see my eye in the camera. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, a whole thing. So, can we talk a little bit more about past life readings? I know that you do past life and health readings to help people understand their spiritual journey. So why are past life readings so insightful and helpful to what's going on in our current life? So if you look at your soul's journey, you've got this continuity of your existence from one lifetime to another. And so for your conscious mind at the end of this lifetime, it's over, but you know, that little flash of light that people see at the end, that's really your consciousness making that final transition out of your body. And so all of your experiences you take with you. So we have things that we want to learn on a bigger scale, just like we have things that we want to learn within this lifetime. And our focus may shift from, from one lifetime to another, but there are going to be a lot of these themes that are very similar. So whenever we do a past life reading for somebody, we don't ask for the most recent or the most entertaining or the most famous person you ever were. Uh, we always ask for the most significant lifetime to what's going on right now so that it's the most relevant for your learning. In fact, regarding famous people, uh, sometimes we actually find that if the person in that lifetime was unusually famous, that sometimes the name of the person will not even be given to them if the reader or whoever it is who's guiding the process, maybe it's the person's guide. I don't know who actually steps in to intervene, but sometimes that information is actually withheld if, uh, you know, it's the, the sense is that that would become more of a distraction to them than a help on their, their path. So it's kind of interesting. I'm not really sure, you know, if, if Catherine's the one, if her higher self senses that, or if maybe the guide steps in and says, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, you might hold off on that. But, you know, it's the thing is that, you know, when we talk about karmic learning, that's really things that we still are working on learning. And sometimes these things become sort of like roadblocks to us. And that's when they become really important to focus on. And so uh, as we look into our past lifetimes, a lot of times, not only will, will we see mistakes that we've made before, 
and maybe how we handled them before. And then we can apply that to our life, but also things that we did really well. You know, sometimes it's things like, you know, you were this master healer in this lifetime and you have this kind of a vague sense that you could be a healer now, but you don't really believe in yourself. So it's like tap into this past lifetime because, you know, you were this master healer. So you can draw on all of that. So there's a number of different reasons why a past lifetime might be valuable, but we've found that uh, it always generally relates to like your overall soul learning and your evolution as uh, an eternal being. So you triggered something for me. You're doing that a lot, apparently. <laughs> Looking at my eyeballs, staring at my third eye, <laughs> jealous of your your psychic thing. Um, so I did a life between lives hypnotherapy session several years ago now, um, and so one of the things that is part of that life between lives hypnotherapy protocol is they take you before essentially what is your council of elders, the, your guides and the, the higher beings that support you in your life. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to be able to see them clearly and, and kind of see what they're wearing and that type of stuff. And there was one, the one that was sitting in the center that would not show themselves to me. And like the hypnotherapist kept saying, well, this is so weird. I've never had this happen before. Surely you can see something. And I was like, no. So is that just, was that just because it wasn't, it was going to be a distraction to me? It's possible. I mean, it was either you who was making that decision because uh, that higher consciousness, part of yourself thought that, you know, your part of you that has to interact with the physical might be distracted, or it could have been your guide, whoever that was, who made the decision, or maybe it was a mutual agreement. You know, there's a lot of different possibilities, but the bottom line is that if that face was being withheld, I would say it would be something very similar to what I was describing with the readings. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole being was withheld. Like all of the rest of them, I could see what they were wearing. I could see their faces. They were talking to me. And this other one was just like, it was a blank. It was, there was nothing there. It was really strange. I mean, I knew that there was a being there. Well, he, he could have just been shy too, Karen. Yeah, like me. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> he was having a bad hair day. He was, well, you know, I get that. I'm the unseen on Zoom in all my company meetings because of bad hair days. So that's fair. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I, I think the readings are also profound because I find a lot of people come to us for a reading when they're at a crossroads of their life. Should I go right or left, right? And the lifetime that comes up is usually one where they're in a similar situation and they went in a particular direction and their soul at some level knows that there's a strong urge to take the same route because it's comfortable, right? They know it. And yet there's this mysterious urge to take a different route to, to the, the fork in the road. And so that happened to me, actually, it's probably why I'm talking about it. And so when you hear the reading and you see what you did in the past life, if someone's really motivated to grow and do things different, a reading is sometimes enough motivation to say, you know what, I did that before. Let me do something different this time. Otherwise, you know, we just keep going around in circles, same thing. And that's where I think the profundity of the readings is, is can motivate us to take a different route and grow more. Yeah, for sure. I've never had a um, past life reading. I've only done the, the hypnotherapy. Oh, no, that's not true. I did once accidentally, but um, <laughs> that was, that was something else altogether, but I've only done the hypnotherapy, but it's kind of the same thing. I would imagine doing the past life hypnotherapy versus the past life readings. I mean, they're, they're, the purpose is the same. Yes. Sure. I mean, if you did the life between lives, all you have to really do is just go back a little bit further to that point when you were in your previous lifetime. And I think that the main purpose of all of it is really to get back to the truth of who we are. You know, like I, I spent a lot of time earlier in my life learning how to astrally project. And when I first started, you know, I, I'm not one of these people that that came into this world with all of my abilities turned on. I'm what I would describe as, as um, instead of a psychic, I would describe myself more as an intuitive. I'm somebody who came in and, and through hard work and effort developed these abilities and brought them out. So 
um, when I started learning how to astral project, it took me a while. And then, you know, I did start to have experiences where I came back. And I remember one of the first times I came back and I was sitting there. I, I think I was sitting up in my bed at that particular time. And I'm like, oh, there I am, you know? And so as soon as I had that, you know, I popped back into the body because I was outside of my body. But then I started reflecting on that experience later. And I realized that all that effort, you know, for me, it wasn't all about going out on these great adventures. It was to know for a fact that my consciousness can exist outside of my body. And so I think that all of these things that we do, the past life readings, the health readings, astral projection, these things like that, it reaffirms our knowledge that there's something more than just the physical life experience, that there's something more to our existence than just this physical body and, the, and this one lifetime. And so all of these clues, we're going to keep getting these things that keep drawing us back toward that. And I, I don't know if maybe everybody has that experience. I can't speak for everyone, but I would say most people have these little intuitive nudges pulling them back to the truth. And so when we listen to that, when we quiet our conscious mind down enough so that we can listen to that little whisper kind of guiding us back, then we get closer to who we are. And I think that's really the point of why we do all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before we talk about where our listeners can find you online, if you could tell them one thing that we haven't talked about tonight that you feel is most important for our listeners to know, what would it be? Ooh, that's a big question. You say that to the end, Cheryl. <laughs> now we're all, we're all tired and talked out and you got a big question. Well, that's so hard. Well, I'm, I'm thinking of reasoning and reasoning is a combination of memory, attention, and imagination. It's what we are endowed with, right? Animals don't have the imaginative faculty, but we as humans do. And unfortunately in, in the world today, as you probably would agree, there's not a lot of reasoning going on. And I, I think it's why so many people are walking around confused, asleep, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And when, when you really get somebody that knows how to reason, it's amazing because the perceptions turned on and you can get to the truth of what's going on, either with yourself, with the world or with another person. So I think that we need to be teaching this in schools um, as well as to adults. I think it should be a basic in metaphysical uh, study because I, I think what's happening is people are overwhelmed and living from the emotional level and the, the reasoning is being left behind. So for me, I would say that the most important thing is to learn how to quiet our conscious mind down enough so that we can listen within to that true nature of our being that is working to express itself because it comes out in very subtle ways compared to our physical life. And we are faced with an unprecedented number of distractions in our lives. I mean, we have these phones that are programmed with notifications to keep us engaged throughout the entire day. And advertising is getting much more engaging. You know, everything is clamoring for our attention. And so we need to take those times to just unplug. And whether you want to call it meditation, where you sit down and quiet your mind and go within, or you want to go out into nature and take a walk by yourself and still your mind, the, the main thing is to quiet the conscious mind down to that point where you can listen to that space in between our thoughts. And that's where we will perceive the truth. I love that. Nature yeah. is my church. So yeah, yeah. I love it. Slow, and slow, taking the time, slowing down to make it happen. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a very conscious decision. Yeah. That's my most difficult challenge, but um, that's another point. And then Catherine, going back to what you were talking about just a second ago. So I was having a conversation with my son just a few hours ago about the state of things. And he's frustrated that it's not the state of things aren't going to get better. There's not going to be a unification a coming together it's he just feels everything is so divided he's he's very he's not hopeful about the future and we we're talking about well what solutions could there be and one of them was why can't we have classes starting in even elementary school 
about these things, about unity and about spiritual aspects of life. And probably not a practical idea, but you kind of touched on that, Catherine. And I think that I wish that we could actually make something like that happen. Oh, so do I. We've been we've been trying to get this stuff in schools for years and years and years. And so we gave up with the public school system and we, you know, just started doing some classes on the side, um, you know, to teach kids some of these principles. Um, but, uh, you, you know, and in terms of your your son, you know, being down about the, the state of the world and, of course, a lot of people are, uh, but on the flip side, I've gotten over that and realized that, uh, you know, the United States is in a Pluto return. Um, Pluto is about destruction and rebuilding and Pluto wipes out what no longer is working. So what I see happening is, you know, I thought there was different points where we could be saying, you know, it's like, it is going just to the point where things implode, but it will be a chance for a new world to be born. Um, so it, it can be good, but it's realizing what is happening and beginning to create parallel systems such as new schools, new ways of living. So that as the old system disintegrates, you have a new system already in place to move to. Those are the people who are going to be able to thrive during this time. And those who keep holding on to this situation the way it is, the world the way it is, may have a very more difficult time uh, adjusting. That is absolutely amazing that you just said that because the, the uh, higher beings that I channel, the George Collective, they've said that in a lot more words than you just did. Um, and they've said it over and over and over again. So it's really, I mean, I just like got full body chills as you were talking about that, because that is, you just explained astrologically what they've been channeling and having me post in blogs for over a year. Oh, cool. Well, <laughs> I'll probably channel from somewhere too. So <laughs> one thing that I would add to that is, especially if he has concerns, I recommend that everybody focus on the kind of world that they want to live in and picture yourself being there with all the clarity that you can muster with your mind. You know, just imagine yourself already being there in that time and place and your intuitive mind will guide you to whatever you need to go do to be safe and to be in a place where, you know, there are people that you can relate to and that you can depend on. So we will be guided to those places where we need to be. And the world has always been full of diverse learning experiences. And as long as people need to learn certain experiences, those experiences will continue to be there. We've learned that lesson before. And so at some point in our metaphysical teaching journey, we just had to learn how to let go and realize you know, if this person is really resistant to making that change, maybe that's just something that they really need right now. And so these experiences will happen. And sometimes it's difficult to watch people go through them. But as long as we stay focused on the kind of world that we want to live in, you will always be guided to just the right time and place of where you need to be for your learning experiences. Well, and Corey's super yeah. young. And he's 26. Yeah. I mean, and you know, this is, I have this conversation with my son, who's just two years younger than yours. And um, it's that, you know, there's a perspective when you've been through things, right? When you've been through things in your life. And this is the first real challenge, I think, that their generation is having. And I think that that's why that there's, there's a, a lack, maybe a lack of perspective there that will come. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I think so. And I will pass this on to him, these messages on to him as well. So thank you. Yeah. All right, guys. So this is the part of our show we like to call shameless self-promotion corner. And we are <laughs> all about it. So please, um, I, I know I just did, we did a program last Friday. People were actually asking us about past life readings. And I was kind of like, oh, well, I think I know a few people, but I didn't really give them super solid answers. So I know that there are going to be people who are interested. Where can they find you? What can they find about you? What would you like them to know? All right. So for the readings, intuitiveschool.com. And there is a tab right on the site called readings, and they can see all the different readings that we offer. Um, also, my other website is masteryourlifepurpose.com. 
everything about working with me to gain clarity on your life purpose is there. And even though it's Wednesday, I started a challenge on Monday that people can join. It is a free challenge, five-day challenge um, called Reaction to Revelation. And it teaches people how to deal with annoying people that push their buttons and how to overcome that. And so you can sign up for that at masteryourlifepurpose.com under the events tab. Or no, excuse me, intuitiveschool.com under the events tab. Uh, Five-day challenge. It's only going to take them five days five days. They get a little each day. There's five videos to learn. And it's a method that's worked wonders for me over the past 15 years. Wow. You know what? A lot of people are going to need that. <laughs> yeah. And I would also add too, that if they go to spiritsjourneyradio.com, they can find out about our radio show. We're live on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central, and then it lives on as a podcast on three different platforms after that. Fantastic. Well, you guys, I am so happy that you invited me to be on your show that so I could meet you and have you on ours. Um, and I hope that I, I feel like we just barely scratched the surface as we always do in only an hour, right? Yeah, um, it always feels like that. <laughs> yeah, so I, I hope that you guys will come back another time and we can have our conversation go on because this has been really enlightening. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Intention is Everything. Um, I think that this was actually the last in the list of things we had lined up, right, Cheryl? So we're back to not knowing what's next. Correct. Yes. All righty. Okay. Back to the unknown. Back to the unknown. That's okay. Like I say, Cheryl likes to Cheryl likes to know, and I like to fly by the seat of my pants, and somehow we make it work. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and have a good week.